boldly. His name was Santien. He practiced the centipede style. He was known. Now number two practiced the snake style. Welcome to Cinema Sugar Bobs. I'm your host, Dan, from SlipThroughMovies.com, bringing you sweet spoonfuls of movie news and reviews from a movie nerd who loves Crouching Tiger right alongside Enter the Dragon. Hope you enjoyed your Canada Day weekend, or Independence Day, or I hope you're enjoying your Monday as part of the Brexit Club. Aside from the usual three scoops of geeky goodness, we're bringing you the weekend box office results, and the home video breakdown talking about the latest DVD and Blu-ray releases. There's also the daily Netflix picks, plus the raised eyebrow segment with a series review of Black Mirror. Let's dig into our three scoops first, after a word from our sponsor. you could follow the yellow brick road <laughs> ever dream of joining robin's merry band visiting never neverland or saving the universe from the evil empire the force saved us now you can do all that and more five days a week with the muppet babies they'll make your dreams come true our first scoop digs into the brand new hbo show westworld a lot of big series have finished up on HBO and uh, Game of Thrones is getting ready to finish its story. So the network needs a new big hit that'll catch on with the critics and the audience. There's been some rather ominous, quick sneak peeks for Westworld, but there hasn't been a lot of footage for this new TV show yet. So the hype is still building. And this movie nerd is doing his part, because I love Michael Crichton. The original Westworld was a 1973 film about a western-style theme park where the androids go crazy. The new version comes to us from J.J. Abrams and Jonathan Nolan, who worked with his brother Christopher Nolan on a lot of projects, including Interstellar. The TV show is going to ask some big questions about AI consciousness and future ethics michael crichton's most famous piece of fiction is undoubtedly jurassic park but he had a lot of other projects that were just as compelling westworld is similar to jurassic park where you have a theme park like disney world where the attractions start to kill you in jurassic park the dinosaurs were operating on instinct but westworld it's androids who are becoming self-aware They're sentient beings, meaning they have pains and pleasures, basically emotional intellect. What happens when an AI creation realizes their mortality? The show could go in a few directions, and it's something I'm super excited for. Jonathan Nolan recently talked to Entertainment Weekly about Westworld. I'll leave you with his quote. We wanted to go flat out, full scope, sleeves rolled up, plunge into the next chapter of the human story, in which we stop being the protagonist and our creations start taking over that role. 
We were fascinated by the tectonic plates that seemed to be shifting into place right now. The argument over the creation of AI and what form it will take, VR finally coming online, and our consciousness going broadband, allowing us to lose ourselves in an acid bath of experience that will be indistinguishable from reality, and only because reality will be the most boring level. And despite all of that, we remain, as a species, frustratingly broken, seemingly barreling towards disaster. So yeah, that's what we wanted the show to be about. That's the reason we wanted to do the show, and what the early conversations with fellow executive producer J.J. Abrams centered on, that the show should turn the original movie inside out. With the hosts, the robots, as the protagonists, When it comes to the question of consciousness, we always start with ourselves as the answer, as the be-all, end-all. It's understandable. We're the only consciousness we're familiar with. But we wanted to challenge that assumption. The hosts are discovering that they've been created in our image, but begin to question if humanness is really what they want to aspire to. And given their circumstances, it's easy to understand why they start to question whether they want to be like us at all. The first season of Westworld is currently slated to premiere this October on HBO. Our next scoop digs into an interesting article over at DarkHorizons.com. It's a theory on De Niro's bad film choices. Back in the 70s, Robert De Niro was a rising star in stuff like Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. He continued that on to the 80s and 90s with stuff like Goodfellas and Casino. While some may consider Taxi Driver or Raging Bull to be De Niro's best performance, he still had several high-profile impressive films like The Deer Hunter throughout his career. But lately, he's been doing... Paychecks. You know, he's an actor, his job is to act, and uh, that's what he does. Doing crap like The Intern, Dirty Grandpa, but also those straight-to-video B-movies like Killer Elite. So what happened to this 80s and 90s legend? Well, the Dark Horizons article highlights an interview with Ileana Douglas, one of his co-stars and a familiar character actor from the era, she talked on Brett Easton Ellis's podcast recently and spoke about her experiences working with De Niro. She's quoted as saying, I think that, that I could only comment as an outsider having worked with him on a film like Goodfellas, the environment that was created to play and to make a work of art, that no longer exists. You know, you're talking about an environment where Marty Scorsese made crew members remove their watches, where... On the set of Cape Fear, De Niro caught somebody looking at their watch and the person's yelled at because it was like, we are making art. And it must be very challenging to be in an environment where it's like, yeah, we have an hour, let's get this shot, let's get this shot. So if nobody else cares, why should you care? This is an interesting quote because it kind of speaks towards the changing landscape of Hollywood where it's just making these big tentpole franchise films. And there's barely any dramas out there, let alone smaller scale films. It's uh, the studios don't do that anymore. It boils down to independent films. Usually those are made with uh, actors who haven't broke through yet. Daryl's next film 
might be a return to drama. It's the boxing movie Hands of Stone that opens August 26th and could be a return to the De Niro we want to see. He's had smaller roles in some David O. Russell films like uh, Silver Linings Playbook or recently Joy, but he hasn't headlined a drama. So while we might look at actors like De Niro and think, oh, he's just doing whatever movie he's offered, uh, we have to remember there's no offers on dramas anymore. A lot of these Oscar contenders that we see each year are packaged when an actor buys a book or something and uh, kind of takes the reins of their own career. And, and let's not forget that De Niro's involved on the uh, film side championing artists with stuff like his Tribeca Film Festival. However, I want more dramas. I want more De Niro. And what Ileana Douglas says makes a lot of sense. What do you think? You can always tweet me out at SlipThroughNerd. Our last scoop swigs from art into popcorn. Talking about the highest grossing actress at the box office. And today, that would be Scarlett Johansson. Who appears in several of those big Tedpole blockbusters that I mentioned earlier were destroying the art side of Hollywood. But when you think about Scarlett Johansson, she wouldn't seem like the most likely actress to be the number one at the box office. But she's been in so many Marvel Studio movies, along with hits like Lucy and most recently The Jungle Book. Her films have raked in $3.3 billion at the North American box office. That's good enough to make her the 10th overall actor in terms of box office receipts, putting her ahead of the likes of Bruce Willis, Matt David, and the aforementioned Robert De Niro. She's also the youngest actor in the top 10. The next highest grossing actress is Cameron Diaz in 19th, with a lot of help from Shrek. The overall spot, you probably guessed it, is Harrison Ford, with his films raking up $4.8 billion thanks largely in part to Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Scarlett Johansson isn't done yet. There's more Marvel films on the way, and she's leading a high-profile action-adventure, the remake of Japan's Ghost in the Shell. Despite all these whitewashing controversies, this movie has an awesome story, a super sci-fi concept, and balls-to-the-wall action, if this is anything like the anime, Scarlett Johansson is going to star in one of the best movies of that year. It's the best kind of popcorn that makes you think on top of it. And if Ghost of the Shell does well, if it's the next Matrix, we might see even more of Scarlett Johansson headlining her own action films without Captain America and Iron Man. Opportunities for actresses have come a long way because, say, 10 years ago, the highest uh, grossing actress might have been Julia Roberts or something, and she wasn't playing an action hero in any of them. She was stuck to romantic comedies or, luckily enough, some impressive dramas. With Scarlett Johansson, the action hero at the top of the blockbusters, she should inspire young girls everywhere to follow in her footsteps. 
Before we get into our daily special features, how about a little bit of trivia? What was Scarlett Johansson's first comic book movie? Stay tuned for the answer near the end of this episode. After these messages, we'll be right back. What brings a cool cat like you to this side of the sea? Whoa, this totally awesome way! Oh, now I need a really rad breakfast to help get me back home. Then follow your nose. To fruit flavor it goes. Smell the natural orange, lemon, and cherry flavors of Kellogg's Fruit Loops. Most tubular. The most delicious part of this complete breakfast. Mmm, the Fruit Loops are excellent. Another bowl? Hey, that'd be gnarly, dude. That means yes, doesn't it? Alright, it's Monday. Time for the weekend box office results. We're taking a look at the top five. Number one, once again, was Finding Dory. Breaking in a four-day total of $50 million, bringing its total to 380 domestically. That's after three weeks. By this time next week, Finding Dory will overtake Toy Story 3 as the highest-grossing Pixar movie of all time domestically. Soon enough, it'll surpass the highest-grossing Disney animated film, The Lion King, which has $423 million. And I'm pretty sure it won't be long before it's the highest grossing animated film of all time, passing the current record holder, DreamWorks Shrek 2, with $441 million. These blockbusters made these numbers over their entire run. Meanwhile, Finding Dory hasn't even been out a month yet. This 4th of July weekend, Finding Dory takes the number one spot. It doesn't have any superheroes. It doesn't have an apocalypse. It might feel rather refreshing for a lot of the audience. That's why it's breaking records left, right, and center. Coming in second at the box office was one of this week's big budget debuts. The Legend of Tarzan. It's four-day total is estimated to come in at 45 to 48 million dollars. These estimates are usually spot on and it's still got today to make some money. In its first week of release, nearly 50 million is pretty good. It seems like the audience is liking this more than the critics. That said, this film cost about 200 million dollars to make, so it's got a ways to go to uh, make a profit. Then again, you get to add worldwide box office to that. Coming in at third, a movie that's sure to be much bigger domestically than overseas, The Purge, Election Day. Its four-day total is $35 million. It's already turning a profit, as this sequel cost about $10 million to make. This horror movie premise acts as a kind of warning of what America could look like on any given day of the week, not just the day of the purge. If you're a teenager wanting to get scared or have some intense thrills, the purge has got to be your best option and might stay in the top five for next week. Coming in at fourth at the box office was the BFG with a four-day total of $22 million. This is a little disappointing for a Steven Spielberg film. Is he losing some of his draw? I'm thinking with Ready Player One filming, that one will definitely bring him back 
and Spielberg will have his biggest popcorn hit in decades. For now, looks like the family audience is divided between Finding Dory and Tarzan, which is a shame because with Spielberg helming a family fantasy adventure, you know it's going to have a good message and actually carry some emotional weight to go along with all those special effects. Speaking of, coming in at 5th is Independence Day Resurgence, a 4-day total of $20 million. It's raked in $77 million after 2 weeks. Which might be seemed as a bit of a disappointment, but perhaps if it had more emotion than special effects, it'd connect more with the summer audience. Well, that sums up the top 5 at the weekend box office. Tune in next week to see how the Finding Dory legend continues. Okay, it's Bud Day time for the whole video breakdown, talking about the brand new DVD and Blu-ray releases. Hitting the shelves on Tuesday is By the Sea. Angelita Jolie directs this complex adult relationship drama. It looks like she's borrowing the visual style of uh, directors like Terrence Malick, who her husband Brad Pitt has worked with. He joins her for this story that divided the critics and the audience and didn't really get that great of a reception however uh, i'm artsy enough that i gotta check this out and i'm thinking i might appreciate it for some you know nerdy poetic reasons every now and then you get in the mood for something focused on characters or themes rather than transforming robots and this week there isn't really any enticing popcorn editions your best chance for action is probably Term Life, starring Vince Vaughn. This looks like a Liam Neeson sort of action flick. With Vince Vaughn as an action hero, it's not uh, the most likely role you'd expect from this uh, comedian. However, he was rather good in True Detective Season 2, and he might be trying to expand himself a bit. I'd say Term Life might be worth the rental if you're an action fan. Drama fans, you also have the true story I Saw the Light, about a jazz musician. Also debuting is The Mermaid, a gigantic hit from China, from director Stephen Chow, the guy behind stuff like Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer. Also debuting on disc is the remake of Cabin Fever, the Eli Roth, gore-drenched, paranoia-filled thriller about a flesh-eating virus. Apparently, it uses the same script uh, as a fan of the original, that gets my interest, but it also makes me wonder why they chose to do that. Uh, I thought the original was directed rather well and was really effective for, uh, you know, a B-movie done right. That about covers the new discs hitting the shelves this Tuesday, but with the home video breakdown, I like to recommend an old movie getting a new disc. Uh, today I'm going to point out Stripes the 1980s cult classic starring Bill Murray, where he signs up for the army, and we get a lot of R-rated laughs. I mention this over Murray's Ghostbusters, because I think a lot of people remember that movie for sure, especially with the new remake coming soon. So, any of these movies spark your interest? Are you a movie nerd like me, looking forward to some drama like By the Sea? Or do you want to check out what all the fuss is about with China's The Mermaid. It broke all these records and was one of the big reasons why China beat US at the box office last year.
It's about that time for the Netflix picks of the day. Today we're going overseas for two retro cult classic recommendations. First up, I got Five Deadly Venoms from 1978. This kung fu classic comes to us from the Shaw Brothers. For those unfamiliar with the old school martial arts flicks, this is one of those that inspired Tarantino to do Kill Bill. In fact, Kill Bill opens up with Shaw Scope the same way all the Shaw Brothers films do. As a definite homage to the totally awesome kung fu films of yesteryear. The Five Deadly Venoms is about five students trained in poison styles of kung fu. Each of them has their own signature skills. You got the centipede, the scorpion, the lizard, the toad, and the snake. When the master dies, he realizes that his pupils may be using it for the kung fu is so strong it's deadly and most powerful so his current student has to set out into the world and find them the thing is no none of these five deadly venoms know each other or what they look like they've always been masked so this is the sort of mystery that uh, propels the story forwards however you're not really watching this for the plot you're watching this for the kung fu and shaw brother movies from the 70s are in a style all their own they've got the really amplified or blown out sound effects whenever you know the arm swishes or whenever a punch is made or someone falls on the ground and it's all part of the charm of the retro kung fu movies if uh, you haven't really dug into the past of uh, martial arts except for bruce lee or something why not check out a shaw brothers film like five deadly venoms streaming on netflix it's a low risk, it's free with your subscription, and you never know, you and your buddies might have a new thing to binge. There's tons of old school kung fu flicks on Netflix. Like my next recommendation, Shaolin Temple from 1982. This is Jet Li's first movie. It's got a bit more of a story and a bit more emotion than The Five Deadly Venoms. And uh, it's not a Shaw Brothers film, but it's straight out of China with a bigger budget than you might expect. They film on location with some beautiful scenery of, uh, you know, Buddhist temples, uh, the mountains, all the nature around them. You got good costuming and big scale battles. Uh, When you think of the best action films, you might think of Hollywood, but if you're into good fight scenes like The Raid or something, you got to check out Shaolin Temple. Jet Li is a phenomenon. Uh, especially when he was younger. He might have been like, I don't know, 18 when he started in this one. And he shows off several different styles. Where the Five Deadly Venoms had five skills, the Shaolin Temple is filled with way more. Each monk that Jet Li teams up with all has their own particular set of skills. Basically, the story here is kind of like a Seven Samurai type of deal. An outsider helps save... A group of pacifists if you will and the fight scenes are awesome like a lot of kung fu films you get the the training sequences to set the stage for the big fight that will happen later and these big fights at the end are super impressive if you've already seen the once upon a time in china flicks from jet li and you haven't seen shaolin temple i'd say you're gonna love it you gotta check it out 
and usually I, wa I would watch a, a subtitled version of uh, any foreign film really I kind of break it down like this if you're watching Ace Ventura and say you're you're in Paris or something and you hear the French overdub is that performance really going to come across Jim Carrey's one of a kind and his performance helps make that movie enjoyable it might not be otherwise so I kind of use that argument for subtitles um, however when you're watching a kung fu flick and Maybe you don't want to take the time to look and read because there's so much action on the scene. You put on the dub, and since it's 1982, the dub is super cheesy, and it gives like a plus five nerd points for retro dub charm. You got to be in the right mood, and you definitely got to be a martial arts fan to dig on this. But if you haven't seen Five Deadly Venoms or Shaolin Temple, I'm saying they're definitely worth checking out. Before we get into our final special feature, let's have another word from our cheeky little sponsor. The power glove for your NES. Now you and the games are one. Let's close out this show with the daily special feature segment, The Raised Eyebrow, for movie news that makes you go, what? Today I got a review of the sci-fi anthology series, Black Mirror. I'm late to the party on this one, but this UK series is amazing. You gotta find it somehow. You can catch the most recent edition on Netflix. That one stars John Hamm in A Christmas Tale that gets pretty creepy while also making you scratch your head or have a few oh that's so cool moments. If you're into technology and you like future gadgets and stuff you're gonna love this series as a whole. It kind of acts as a cautionary tale on future technology and how it will change society. Each episode focuses on how it affects personal relationships and each one is entirely provocative i checked this out because i loved ex machina so much and heard a few reviewers comparing it to black mirror and there is an episode starring tom hell gleason and Haley atwell about ai to really talk about any of these episodes would kind of ruin part of the enjoyment because since they're standalone episodes you don't know what the story is going to be about until you watch it and often it turns in unexpected directions but you've got everything from you know ex machina type stories to twilight zone stories to stuff like the purge uh, each episode is totally worth watching there's two seasons of three episodes then there's a Christmas special on Netflix, and the new season is going to hit Netflix soon, and I think it's going to be like 13 episodes or something. Uh, all of these are written by the same guy, Charlie Booker. He must have a head full of strange ideas. What I love most is how he does the what-if on technology, and just pushing the envelope a little bit further than on what's already available. 
for example, stuff like personal assistance on your phone or uh, Google Glasses or the idea how we all record our lives with our phones and put it on the internet. Each episode is a cautionary tale about believable science fiction. If you're into like Twilight Zone, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, all the sci-fi greats, I think you're really going to dig on Black Mirror. You'd be surprised what you could find on YouTube, but I didn't send you there. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd and love stuff like Blade Runner, Ex Machina was my favorite film overall last year. So, And I'm saying Black Mirror is up there with the best sci-fi. It's definitely one of the best sci-fi shows to hit TV. And these aren't all happy endings or family safe episodes. These are all more or less R-rated concepts that take themselves seriously and if you participate it's going to reward you i can't recommend it highly enough if you're a sci-fi nerd like me you gotta check out black mirror before i go let's answer that earlier bit uh, trivia where i asked what was scarlett johansson's first comic book movie you might be thinking of iron man 2 or something but really the answer is ghost world from 2001 based on the underground comic this one starred thora birch and steve buscemi alongside scarlett johansson it was about outsiders mainly a 30 something record collector loner played by buscemi and a young girl who isn't turned on by anyone her own age uh, because of what they're into this is a indie hidden gem worth checking out. Thanks for listening to Cinema Sugar Bombs. Stay tuned for Thursday, where I'll hit you with a throwback retro classic recommendation and a nerdy hypothetical dilemma for you called Would You Rather? Art versus Popcorn. Until then, stay rad. I know he's dead, but I can sign you up to something that helps. It will let you speak to him. And don't worry, you won't even have to do anything. I'll just assign Shut up! You click the link, and you talk to it. And it mimics him. And reads through all the things they've ever said online. The more it has, the more it's him. So, how am I sounding? You sound just like him. This might sound a bit creepy. There's another level to this available. It's starting already. Don't go after the